Ladies and gentlemen, back again, your host, Alex Coons. I'm sitting at Hot Tongue Pizza. Just got done bread and some eggplant. And I'm excited because we also just got back from a little trip to the land of Ron Burgundy, baby. San Diego. And of course, you know we had to stop by Tribute Pizza and talk to our boy, Matt Lyons. You know what I'm saying? Uh, We had a great conversation. His space is so beautiful. It once was a post office in North Park. I mean, I'm a nut for design. The chairs, the tables, you know, his back prep area, everything was so neatly put together, curated. I could I could feel the energy. I could I could see the restaurant full and you know there's something really beautiful in that and the care that's that's put into everything even before, you know, dough touches flour. We talk a little bit about Chris Bianco. And I'm not going to lie. I I love Chris Bianco. We talk about the journey of Matt starting as a pop-up paying tribute to the original margarita and how he has paid tribute over the years to some of the most famous, renowned pizza chefs in the game. Again, Chris Bianco being one of them, who he actually collabed with on a pizza and had Chris come cook at Tribute. Matt showed me his three-pot sink that had a view. Matt, if you ever need a dishwasher, I'm here for you. We talk about work-life balance, how to get out of your shop, when to get out of your shop, if you should ever get out of your shop. Also a reminder, if you haven't subscribed yet, you're watching this on the YouTubes, make sure you subscribe, like, and share. If you're listening to us on Apple, leave us a review. Give us the five stars. Spotify, same, really helps the pod. It helps us out. So please like, subscribe, share. And if you're on Instagram, give us a follow. We're on there, we're posting content. You don't wanna miss it. Matt, thank you so much for your time for your thoughtful, insightful answers. I really enjoyed listening. I know this conversation is gonna resonate with a lot of people. I hope you enjoy. I know you're gonna. Tribute Pizza, San Diego, Matt Lyons, let's go. Are you from San Diego? Born and raised, yes sir. Um, Whereabouts? Uh, I grew up in La Jolla. Very nice, very nice area. Did you go to college here? It's very pleasant. No, I went to college in the Central Valley. Okay, where's that? North of the Grapevine, but south of San Francisco. Okay, and, is, and did you go, is that the Tony G uh, University of Pizza that you went to? Is that? Uh, I attended the University of California in Merced. Okay, okay. Was that an enjoyable experience? You know, I actually really enjoyed it. Good. Um, I was in the founding class, in the founding graduating class, and there was fuck all to do there. Um, so I... I actually studied and learned some things and made some relationships and was going to open a pizza place there and didn't. So as far back as then, you have, you've had the idea. Did you go to school thinking, I'm going to go to school, but I really want to do pizza? Uh Uh-huh. Really? Yep. What was your first pizza job? Uh, Delivering pizzas on my skateboard when I was 14 or 15. Child labor is okay here. I forgot. Yes, it's one of those loopholes in San Diego County. It's um, as long as you're really uh, making them have fun while you exploit them, it's okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Cash under the table? Oh, yeah. All right. Is that pizza place still open? 
It is with different owners. Okay. Full circle, I ended up in a weird twist of fate. The guy who employed a, a child labor uh, to deliver pizzas on the skateboard one day just disappeared. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and I had a new boss. And years later, I ended up hiring a young girl with my old boss's last name. And it was his daughter. No way. And then one day, twist of fate, she disappeared. <laughs> what were we just talking about? Into thin air? Never called? That's a no call, no show. That's That was it? Yeah. Runs in the family. Apparently. It was fine. Did you ever see her dad? He came in once. Yeah? And Were you like, hey, man, what happened? You disappeared. I think we all know what happened. I think the law caught up with him. Ah, okay. Did he sell his business or was he forced to leave? You know, I was a child. Okay. <laughs> On a skateboard. Yeah. Delivering pizza. Yeah, I was a child. And well, I, I'm not a... 100% sure exactly what happened. But the pizza place was there um, until a couple months ago, actually. My mom sent me the, the listing uh, for this spot. Second location, maybe. N no, I think, okay. I think it lasted there for all those years uh, in spite of the location, not because of it. Oh, no, I was saying that maybe it's twisted fate. Yeah, no, I, I, love, I love a narrative. It's, yeah. I love a, I love is a, it in La Jolla? It is. Okay. It um, was between um, my mom's house and the high school and the place where we smoked weed. It was like the perfect. Incredible. Trifecta. Yeah. Yeah. It was the nexus of the universe for a, a 15 sure. year old. Did you ever make pizza there? There were a lot of things that they asked me to, they asked me to do everything but make pizza, including like, oh, that delivery's too far. Here are the car keys. And I was like, you do know I don't have a license. It was like, just be safe. I like this person. Um, yeah, the sausage, uh, grinder, it's like, it does, didn't have the, the magic wand. It's like, yeah, just your hands fit in there. Uh, everything but making pizza until I was like, seriously, how many times do I have to clean the grease trap before I get to touch the dough? Yeah. And I was like, oh, one more time. That was it clean the grease trap. Yeah. Which turns out there are services that do that. I wasn't even really doing it. It was just earning my keep. Yeah, this sounds like a hardcore place. Yeah. You've heard of um, the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire? No. Triangle Shirtwaist Fire? Yeah, I think it was when all the child laborers got locked in the in the in the building, so they they just lit it on fire? Well, there was a fire. This is not relevant. All right, let's start the podcast. <laughs> Party. Uh, all right, before we get into it, this is going to be off topic too, but I just talked to Mark Schechter, Schechter. And he told me, I want to know about your URL game. See, he's he is the... I'm, I think I have more Instagram accounts than he does, but they're all placeholders but we have both discussed kind of our addiction for buying urls okay he made it seem like 
oh, no, I don't have a problem. If you want to talk to somebody who has a problem, you talk to Matt Lyons in San Diego. Well, way to deflect, Mark. And yes, I do have a problem. Can you share with me maybe some of like your, the, your higher ticket ticket URLs we're talking? Because I'm in the URL game as well, but apparently my portfolio is not as grand as both you and Mark's maybe. I own every permutation of Pizza f Ranch, Pizza 4 Ranch, mm. spelled the number Ranch for Pizza. I was pretty certain that we'd have a, a pizza ranch business. It's because it's actually what I colloquial, colloquially call this place, the old pizza ranch. The old pizza the ranch. The old pizza ranch. Do you have that URL? I do. Okay. Not pizza ranch. The old pizza ranch. I think I might have ye old pizza ranch. I like it. Ye old pizza ranch. You see, when you when you get into permutations, you there's no no stopping. That's yeah. why you gotta that's have why I got to have a problem. Yeah. Okay. Should we only do only do um, no, pizza would, related uh, ones? No, I give it give uh, me like top five. God of pizza. Oh my gosh, com. that's great. F yeah pizza.com. Good, love it. Uh, fuck yeah pizza.com spelled out. Incredible. Um, Porkschmear.org. <laughs> now we're talking. Now we're getting into the, the porn stuff. Prolificpizza.com. That's great. Love it. Uh, BlackBeltNinjaBar.com. I, I wanted to open a bar called Black Belt Ninja Bar. I feel like that would do well in the gas lamp. DarkAlleyPizza.com. That could be good in PB. Also, EveryButtholeIsBeautiful.com. Wow. Yeah. HoliestOfHolies.com. <laughs> Ranchforpizza.com, oh. ranch the number four pizza.com, thin and thin pizza.com. Okay. That's also TNT. Thin Take that, thin. Joseph. Cheesycorner.com. That's good. That's that was hot. actually that's um, hot. That's hot. That was AI generated. Sicilianchilicrisp.com, mm. pizzachilicrisp.com, mm. italianchilicrisp.com, calabrianchilicrisp.com, rockpaperscissorsbar.com. Pizzabro.com, B-R-E-A-U-X. It's my French bread pizza concept. Wow. Pizza bro. I like it. Should we start the podcast? Yes, now? let's start it up. That was uh I think we got all the info we needed there yeah. on URLs. I'm addicted. Well, hopefully it all pays off. How I know it will. Because URLs also are not cheap. What are those? $30 a pop for two years? Ten. When you buy in bulk. All right. All right. Why pizza? Who was your biggest influence and what was the first tribute? Why pizza? Because it's the fucking best. And I'll fight anybody who disputes that. What, what, is even, what even holds a candle to pizza? That's a serious question. Now I'm asking you. Nothing. Nothing holds a candle. Burrito. It's a top contender. It's not the goat. I love Mexican food. Let's go. I love it. I love rice. I love beans. And then I love that you can just, I mean. It, All right. I love a burrito. And I'm not going to fight anybody who says they love burritos more than pizza. Okay, let's, because I, that's, I was ready to fight. I mean, that, that is, that's a fair counter argument. But uh, for me, pizza is life. Um, the first pizza tribute I think was to the margarita because I think it, I think it has to be. Um, I think it says on our menu tribute to, or meta tribute 
Rafael Esposito's 1889 tribute to Queen Margarita of Savoy. And that's where the margarita came from, right? You know, I think I think it's probably a bullshit story, but I love that. Mm. I love um, I love marketing bullshit. I love reading the back of the the liquor bottle and reading about their uncle who had a bathtub and bottled it for generations. And I love um, I love a, a good narrative. Mm-hmm. And the margarita pizza, whether that is accurate or not, whether it was based on the colors of the Italian flag and then the queen who grew up in, you know, eating pizza as a street food, whether it was the one that she said, that's mine, and he named it after her. I don't know if that's true or not. It's probably almost certainly counterfactual. But who knows? That's the story. Okay. So the story goes. Yeah, I, I believe it. History, you can just lie about stuff now, and it's fact, so. I don't know. I'm a history major. Oh, really? I, I have a degree in history. This is all making sense now. Um, so I've got a little, I, I romanticize the history, even if I'm not 100% sure that it's um, true, right? They say the winners write history. Mm-hmm. I guess Rafael Esposito was the winner. Mm-hmm of that competition to woo the queen. Yeah. Who's winning that story? Who's, is it? The queen really is winning. We all won. I mean, why is it the baseline? Cause there's nothing to hide behind. I guess. I love a margarita. Yeah. Did you have an influence? Was it, was it your psychopath, uh, child labor, uh, uh, disappearing boss at the time is he the one who catapulted this love of pizza growing up family dinners the ones that i remember were uh pizza with my grandma and my dad and this mediocre beer from trader joe's that i think they still sell Simpler times no before that peter's brand okay i think it was the first beer that i ever had and i thought that i was getting one over and then I think I later found out that the packaging for the non-alcoholic one is exactly the same. And I had been stealing non-alcoholic beer out of my mom's fridge for, for some years. That's irrelevant. The first pizza I remember having was from um, greasy cardboard pizza is kind of the way to describe it. From the pizza place, you know, a couple blocks from home. And it was, it's the communal, it's the, like the, the, the original communal food for celebrations, for get-togethers and gatherings and stuff. I think that probably that that nostalgia is probably a bigger influence on why pizza, but I think like most people, probably the first real pizza influence was Chris Bianco. And how old were you then? I think a freshman in college and we were planning um, a road trip across the country. Um, me and a couple of my best friends during the summer after after our freshman year of college, um, I had already articulated that I needed to stop in Phoenix. Yeah. Already been aware of, of Chris, but hadn't managed to get there before I was 18 or 19. Did you meet him on that uh, that pilgrimage across the- uh, I did. The United yeah, States? twice actually. Met him uh, going west. No, met him going east. And then on the way home, we, uh, we kind of 
looped back around and stopped and back in Arizona and had the beats again. Have you been, have you, would you call Chris Bianco a friend? Yes. Yeah. Have you kept in contact since that first visit? Oh yeah. 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 He's, um, he came and cooked here. It was one of the highlights of, um, like my, my tribute memories for sure. The night in August of 2018, when he, uh, came to San Diego and stayed a couple blocks away from here and picked him up and we went and got coffee and went to the farmer's market and designed a couple of market dishes and then went to lunch and came here and cooked and it was incredible. We had a line. We didn't have reservations at the time, which maybe was an oversight and a couple hundred people in line waiting to waiting for, for us to open. Um, but yeah, I mean, Chris is such a, such a gem and we definitely stay in touch he truly is like, feels like family. Yeah. Chris Bianco to me is like, just seems like, uh, he, he's, he's like, to me, he's like the coolest pizza maker. Uh, and then just a, a powerhouse, like everything he says, even when he's saying nothing seems like he, it's like the most prolific thing I've ever heard. I've never met him, but just friends going downtown when he's there and giving him there. He just gives away his number and he's texting people. And it's just like, man, how is this dude so down to earth? Because yeah. he seems like an alien to me. Just the way that he's, he talks about food, he talks about grain. He talks about people, he talks about the process. He it was the first person I've ever heard talk about, like talk about pizza, the way that I feel about it. Sometimes I, I don't express like I come off like maybe I don't I don't take things seriously, but he can express what making pizza is in such a way that I, I how, how I feel about it. I think that's a really good way to articulate it. And I, I think I've kind of been challenged to articulate what about uh, talking to him about pizza or about life is so special. And it's that um, he is kind of operating on a different plane. Um, like he like mainlining the pizza universe or something. Yeah, it just feels like he's tapped into something that like I haven't, I haven't found yet. And I like, I'm glad that you brought up the life because it's just like the way he talks about his family now. And just, I'm just, I'm fanboying over here. Well, like, I guess, I guess um, <clears throat> you asked if there was a, um, the original tribute. Yeah. And it's was definitely the margarita pizza, but our very first shirts are So the, the name of the restaurant is tribute. Yeah. And, that kind of has its um, origin stories in a couple of places, but the Tenacious D song, Tribute, yeah. not the greatest and best song in the world, just a tribute. Yeah. Our first shirts and our first tagline was not the greatest and best pizza in the world, just a tribute. And just like how Jack and Kyle meant not the greatest and best song, the one that they played for the devil. Yeah. I meant not Pizzeria Bianco, just a tribute. Yeah. And I think we've had all, all six of his pizzas on the menu over the course of the years. And uh, every year in August, we do the pizza that Chris and I put together at the farmer's market mm -hmm. and bring it back. And you can't, you can't tell my story without 
the fact that Chris inspired a generation of pizza makers. Yeah, no, and no, I no. was one of them. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to make the pizza that Chris made, mm-hmm. so I bought the oven that Chris had. Yeah. For example, and still trying, right? Still trying to make the whole concept of tribute. I find incredible. Like if I, I, when I found out about your restaurant and like what you do here and the concept of creating these tributes of pizza makers and paying homage and doing it in your own way. Um, where did that idea come from? And, and how do you pick those? How do you pick those pizzas? Even my earliest days in pizza, I think I, I knew that I was going to open a pizza place one day. And I've got um, like a dozen or two dozen moleskine leather bound journals that I would carry around everywhere on my travels. And I would take little notes like, oh, copper pendants or copper chimney or ah, like the Saturnia pizza plate or uh, man, I really like black subway tile or all these different touches or man the key to potato on pizza is this and then over the course of time those ideas or those notes aggregated and when I was trying to figure out what tribute would become and I'm looking over these this you know decade plus of notes it's it's everything it's it's not a Neapolitan pizza place and it's not a New York pizza place. It's not by the slice joint where you get, you know, a pint of paps and a plastic cup and all these things that I'm nostalgic for and love. It's, it's all of them. It's, it's the love letter to pizza. Yeah. It's like, Oh, that, that actually is what it is. It's telling my personal story of my love of pizza and it's all of it. So how do you pick one? Sometimes, Sometimes on travels, you taste it and it's like, <laughs> that's it. And other times it's, it's really difficult because it's not enough of a thing. It doesn't tell a story. Like one of my favorite pizzas that I've had recently was the cheese slice at Scars. And it's so unbelievably good for me it's it's a 10 it's the platonic notion of a new york slice and i don't know how to pay tribute to it because we have a cheese pizza on the menu yeah um and i don't have a mill to mill my own flour and i'm not i can't it it doesn't the tribute to scar's cheese slices it's difficult to accomplish yeah but other times when it's, you know, like, oh, those, that butternut squash puree with Mike's Hot Honey and pepitas and microgreens that I just had at Truly Pizza and Dana Point, it's like that, not only is it so good, it's, it's uh, tidy. Mm-hmm. It's easy. It's like, that is a tribute to Truly Pizza and Dana yeah. Point. Do you meet most of the people that you, uh, that you give tribute to? I've never met Franco Pepe and we had the Margarita Spagliata on the menu. And I, it, that's one of the very rare tributes that I put on the menu without having the original um, or having met the 
the creator of it. I don't always have a personal, because sometimes I'm just a tourist <laughs> coming to eat pizza yeah. and try to not be obnoxious. Like, hey, I'm going to steal your recipe in San Diego in a couple weeks. Can we chat? Yeah. Uh, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, but I think by now, I think I've, I think there's only a few exceptions for never met that guy never, never talked to him. I feel like everybody kind of, whether they say it or not, like uh, if you're working at a restaurant or a pizzeria or any restaurant, you're maybe subconsciously giving tribute to a past restaurant, a pizza you ate as a child, uh, you know, a, a body of work that maybe it took to get there. Just cause I thought about my journey and really everything that I do is a tribute to the past. Mm -hmm. You, and then is highly like, I'll have this conversation, I'll take something out of this conversation and it could change the way I do my dough when I go back to Los Angeles. And so I just, that's why I was so attracted to, I was like, this, this whole concept is based off of, it's a literal tribute, but I think, and I don't know if you'd agree with me that everyone doesn't just pull shit out of their ass and create things out of nothing. Everything is essentially a tribute. For me, absolutely. Um, everything that I do is a tribute. And I mean, you know, the, the million monkeys with a million typewriters sort of thing. There's, it's difficult to have an original premise or original notion. And that's not to say that they are, they're not out there, but at least um, I think that's maybe one of those things why um, pizza is so revered and so universally loved is that um, regardless of how far out of the confines uh, a pizza maker might go, it's still pizza. Mm -hmm. And what, it, what does that mean at its core? And it means it's, it's nostalgia, right? It's the, it's the thing that we're, it's the building, it's based on the building blocks that we're, that we love so much. Yeah. Your parents cooked pizza when you were growing up. Did you have a place that you ordered from a lot? Both. Yeah. Not great. The extent Not great of pizza. my parents making pizza, I think they would get like a, what's the pre-made crust you could get? Boboli? Yeah. They'd get Boboli and like Prego oh, and yeah. like the shittiest cheese. And they'd be like, yeah, here it is. I'd be like. But even that might be Boboli with Prego and the shittiest cheese, but it's still pizza. And I, yeah. I bet if we made one of those right now and be like, damn, it's pretty good. It's fire. Right? It's pretty yeah, good. probably right. That's, that's definitely true. Like when's the last time you just like, you know what? I'm going to get a slice of Costco. Just well, check it out. Well, I, I was vegan for six years and I literally started eating cheese maybe three weeks ago. So have I have been to Costco. Recently? I, ha I have, I, it's on my list to go check it out. But Costco is a revered slice for me. I actually do like, once a year at Purgatory, we have like box Costco boxes and sell the pizza for nine ninety nine. It was that was the pizza I grew up eating when that came when that came in on a Friday night. Yeah, like the Supreme and then a pepperoni. Like you knew it was going to be a good Friday night. You know right. what I'm saying? Well, I mean, and I think that that's not too distinctly different in quality from bubbly prego and shitty cheese. Yeah, it's just. Why is Costco pizza 
why does it have that special place in your heart? And it's because it's the pizza you grew up on or it's because it's, it might be mediocre, but it's still pretty fucking good, right? Yeah, well, it represents a time. Mm-hmm. And it was a time where things were easier, less stressful. And I didn't have the fucking judgment that I have now every time I yeah. eat a slice. It was just like, yo, this isn't bubbly and shitty. Prego, <laughs> this is Costco and it's fire. Yeah. A simpler time. Yes. Are you vegetarian? I am. And is mm-hmm. your wife vegan? Not anymore. Not anymore? Not anymore. She's a cheese. She's a cheese. Cheese person. Cheese person. How has how has that affected your your pizza journey? Has it affected it as all? Is mm-hmm. it is it hard um, sourcing meat or deciding what like what what you're going to use on what pizzas? Do you t- do you taste meat? Uh, I do not taste meat, um, and I would not describe it as hard. I mean, by this point, our our standards are codified they're like that is the pepperoni that we use yeah um and we have a relationship with that pepperoni maker and we're proud to support that pepperoni maker but kind of the origin story of that is we'd get a dozen or 15 different pepperonis and do a double blind test where the team both front and back taste the pepperoni taste it raw, taste it cooked, you know, score it based on color and cupability and all sorts of shit. And then line it up and it's like, oh, that that's our pepperoni. Yeah. Um, and the same thing with the soppressata or the calabrese or the prosciutto or the bacon. Um, even though I don't uh, eat pepperoni myself. Yeah. There was no compromise in that process. I feel pretty confident saying, um, that I feel by this point that I'm, I can really stand behind all those products, even if I don't eat it myself. Yeah. And the origin and the sourcing of it. What pepperoni do you use? Azo. Okay. So it hasn't really hindered your, your journey in pizza. No. Um, once upon a time I was, I was, a a line cook. And it's like flipping burgers. Mm-hmm. And I loved cooking burgers. And I was really good at it. And my bosses were always kind of like weirded out because they knew I was a vegetarian. They're like, what's up? Like, why does Matt want to work that station? Yeah. I'm not vegetarian for political reasons or religious reasons or health reasons or it's it just I'm just vegetarian. You just, you just one day was like, I'm just, I'm no, just vegetarian. No, I was like, I was, I was, I was born and raised a vegetarian. Oh, seriously? Mm-hmm. Is your whole family veggie? Uh, yeah. My whole family's vegetarian and we were just, it was a vegetarian household. Yeah. And maybe a little indoctrination. Yeah. But yeah. You indoctrinate it, them. Uh, it's sharing your values, right? It's indoctrination. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, believe this, this is the truth. That's what I tell my son every night before we go to bed. The Shawshank Redemption <laughs> is the best movie you've ever seen. Exactly. Exactly. You will watch the never ending story tomorrow and love it. So you were raised vegetarian. Did you ever, vegetarian. did you ever go off the grid and be like, yo, I got to fucking try some of this McDonald's. No. Never, never. And so really there's, it, it's just kind of like, I didn't need it growing up and I'm just not going to eat it anymore 
at all. I'm not, I'm not curious, like alcohol or something. Yeah, I guess there were definitely those things that you will not drink alcohol. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm yeah, going to drink alcohol. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I think um, kids can be fairly cruel. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I think any way that you can exploit somebody else being different is, and it's like, I'm an entitled white kid from La Jolla, right? Like I'm, I, they're, uh, uh, so the other entitled white kids from La Jolla would beat me up for whatever reasons they could. Yeah. Like being a vegetarian. (laughs) So, right. You know, when you, when, uh, when you get, um, uh, you know, a rock thrown at you for some reason. Yeah. It's like, uh, well, like, 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 fuck that. Yeah. Fuck having a rock thrown at me. It's yeah. like, and why? Like, cause I don't eat a burger. Uh, like, no, you, it, it starts it, like, it makes it be maybe core to how you identify yourself. Yeah. Like a core value. So again, yeah, it's, it's not about the animals. I love cooking the burgers. Yeah. Back uh, on cooking the burgers. It was cause I had a platonic, I was good at it because I had a platonic relationship with the burger. Yeah. I was like flippy. Yeah. Is Flippy out of business? The the robot? It's, there's a oh, an no. AI. I'm sure he's just getting started. Yeah. Flippy is dun, 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 coming. It's pretty good. Yeah, I love cooking meat. All right, so it was never an issue. You were never like, okay, we're going to open up Tribute. It's going to be all vegetarian. No, I feel like we probably wouldn't have lasted six yeah, well, months. Well said. Sorry, is that is, is that cut deep? I mean, right. It's a, it's a business decision, right? We, we both made the same business decision. Yeah. And yours was that it's a vegan pizza restaurant and actually there's too much market share left on the table. You need to be able to make, sell more pizza Yeah. or make more people happy or whatever the thing is. Yeah. So, uh, even though maybe at the time you didn't eat cheese, put it on the menu, right? Yeah. Same thing for me. Yeah. Um, but how do you, how do you get to that point where you feel confident in what you're serving? And that's, well, you try to look at the ethics of the people who you're sourcing from, or you try to, um, look at the ingredient list. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, when we were, when we were taking the lap, you asked me like, Oh, hundred percent flour and 100% organic flour. Yeah. And it's like, it's, yeah, and it's not because I wanna print on my menu 100% organic flour. It's that this sort of people who grow and mill organic flour have kind of self-identified as the people who care more mm-hmm. or who um, are maybe the sort of people if you know, given the, the free market, the sort of people who you want to do business with. Uh-huh. And I feel that way about Darren Ezzo and uh, you read on your website, you know, like you, you talk about how you have relationships with people at the farmer's market down the street mm-hmm. and how you have relationships with your grain, go- like grain growers and like how it's important to know who your farmers are and, you know, how do you cultivate those relationships? I mean, at a farmer's market, it's, easy you can Mm -hmm. go down the street and you can talk to somebody that's either selling for the farm or maybe the actual farmers there Mm -hmm. um but like when it comes to talking to you know ezos or people at central milling or you know to or i mean 
I know you have a great relationship with Rob DiNapoli and you know Chris. Um, what, what would you recommend to other pizzerias like who kind of want to bridge that gap and have maybe a more personal relationship with the people that produce mm-hmm. a lot of their ingredients? Well, I mean, when we started, Ezo actually wasn't distributed in California. And so part of my origin story of my relationship with Darren was that nobody had it out here. So when I just called the phone number on the Ezo website, Darren picked up the phone. I asked him how to get it in California and he said, well, I'll ship it to you. And now we're friends, right? Now we've been buying that pepperoni for seven years and he's got distribution. And you know, when, when Bianca DiNapoli first got released, the phone number on the, the website was Rob's personal cell phone (laughs) and he would answer the phone. Um, and probably, probably still, I don't think he's in the office as much anymore, but Betty will answer the phone and Betty is as close to Rob as you're going to get. Yeah. And, you know, I think that there's, you know, cultivating those relationships is, it is so important and it's kind of the same thing at the farmer's market as it is for somebody like Darren or Rob and it's like they're just they're just people and they're probably really excited to uh, have an interaction with someone who's stoked about their product or who uses their product or who wants to learn more about it. I met you at a hot honey party. At Good Pie. At Good Pie. It was a, it was a delightful intro from Mark Schechter. Uh, I asked you Oh, what are you competing in? It was non-traditional, right? No, I or was it, it square? I think it was traditional. Really? No, I was in pan. I was in pan. You were blacked out. Yeah. Okay. You had, had a lot of micheladas that day. We met at the Mike's Hot Honey Party where I had brought a, a cocktail based on, uh, with Mike's Hot Honey. It was. Wait, you had a cocktail on that menu? Yeah, at the Goodbye. Okay. Goodbye party. I didn't drink. Mike asked me if I would bring a cocktail to the the party. Yeah. And I said, as long as I can call it whatever I want. Okay. And he didn't understand why I had that prerequisite. And it's because the cocktail ended up being called Mike, the golden god of honey and hotness. Wow. And it was with um, tequila and mezcal and carrot and golden beet juice. Mm. With Almatepec, which is a Pasie uh, Miche spirit. Oh, it was wonderful. I was pretty proud of the cocktail. Yeah. Um, so that's why I was blacked out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Panda Vision is where you were in. And I swear there was more than just cheese on this pie. No, it was, a, like it was a pan pie. It was a pan pie. I know it was a pan pie. I was there. I, I was, was in the panda division. You were in the you were in a panda division. Yeah. Panda. Panda floor. And but I asked you, what are you what are you gonna what you asked me what I was doing? And I told you, and then I asked you, and you're like, I don't know yet. And I think I asked you the next day, and you're like, I still don't know. So first of all, how many times have you competed? I think this was the second time. Okay. Did you win Maybe last the, time? I did not. Okay. What are you gonna compete this year? I will not. 
did do you have fun competing the premise is fun the premise of like going out and have something to have having something to do and i think uh my wife described it as like yeah what what are we going to drive to vegas and have nothing to stress about well said i think the there is some camaraderie and competition and there but also um it was a it was kind of high strung um i think that competing in las vegas is less um, a pizza competition and more a logistics competition can you explain that well everybody is in an unfamiliar setting mm -hmm. everybody is um <laughs> I'm sorry. everybody's using equipment they don't normally use and uh either you're trying to bring dough or make dough there and it's the fridges are at different temperatures and people are opening clothes, whatever, right? The pizza that I made in Vegas is not the pizza that I make here. Of course. And I feel like that is probably par for the course. I yeah. feel like basically you're competing based on something that isn't specifically what it is that you want to make or that you normally make because of how many different variables affect the pizza that you're making in a competition. Mm -hmm. And that can be stressful. Yeah. Or less fun. Yeah. So it wasn't fun enough to do it again. Or are you even going to go to Expo this year? I'm definitely going to go to Expo. But um, I think that what the reason why I go is for the camaraderie and to see the people that um, either I only see once a year in Las Vegas or um, I see a couple times a year. But one of the times is in Las Vegas where they're not working and the rest of the time is at their pizza places where they are working. Yeah. So it's the, um, the opportunity to do something that is less work. This space is incredible. Used to be a post office. Yeah. Did you envision the brick and mortar because you started as a pop-up? I don't even think we covered that. Let me like rewind it back. My computer died. So, do you need a plug? No, no, I'm fine. Uh, because I, I have the questions up here. Okay. Um, so now we're starting the pod. The pod is starting. So okay. you went to Kenya. I did go to Kenya. And consulted when you mm -hmm. were 25 years old for 100 days. It ended up being almost six months. It was, I think, I think it started off being 100 days and then the opening of the restaurant got pushed back and there were delays, construction delays and stuff. Can you paint a picture though? At that time, you were you were working just as, as a tribute pop-up. Yep. And you wrote a letter. Had you ever consulted before? Not like that. You, you not, wrote a letter and, and you landed that, you landed, that's a quite a big job. When I, when you look back, I like, oh, the restaurant that I consulted for in Kenya really are, helped me articulate this vision and what I wanted out of tribute. It's like, well, how'd you get to Kenya? And it's like, well, I wrote a letter and I won the lottery basically. Yeah. Um, and that is, that does make me feel fairly self-conscious that, that it is all luck, right? That how I find myself here is. That's, there's no luck in there. You, you, oh, 
a lot of hard work, but also luck, right? You made the luck. Well, yeah, because it was, you got chosen and you had the experience, but I mean, you had But not really. You had it. But no, I had never consulted before. Somebody (laughs) saw something in you though, and you had the confidence in yourself because not a lot of people would, a lot of people would look at that ad or find, you know, see the the post or somebody coming to him and be like, oh yeah, like that would never, they wouldn't. I'm not even going to put the effort in because I could never do that. You know what I mean? But you had the confidence to write the letter, to send it out. And, and the consequences were you landed the job and like, was that scary as shit? Were you like, holy fuck, I actually now have to go to Kenya and do this. Or was it like, yeah, I, I got this. The former scary as shit. Mm -hmm. Like, what have I, okay, I guess. I guess I'll pretend like I know how to do this now. Was there a lot of that during the process where you where you kind of were dialing it in? I feel like imposter syndrome is probably a, a really powerful tool where if you can be self-aware enough of what you don't know, that it encourages oneself to figure out what they need to know, mm-hmm. right? What's the gap between how talented or knowledgeable or X, Y, and Z, I actually am and what I want to be. And that's, well, that's, that is what imposter syndrome is. And it's like, well, what do I do to fill in that gap? And you work really hard. What was the, what was the main thing they had? What was the, the main thing that you were consulting on? Was it the overall pizza? Were you training staff? Were you putting processes in place? Like what did they have you properly doing for six months? Were you doing everything? The pizza restaurant was part of a a larger restaurant group and they had resources for, um, for hiring and for, you know, they had, they had a couple dozen coffee shops with real, with real kitchens in them where they would make food from scratch. So they had a lot of, a lot of resources. Um, so I wasn't doing any hiring, but I was doing some like some layout, some design mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, right. How should the pizza station flow? Mm-hmm. Um, and then also ingredient sourcing, um, menu development, uh, the dough program, training, and then actually working, working the station, working the line. Um, wow the team got up to speed and then refinement, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that's probably the most important thing that I did is of the grand vision that we had helping re-articulate what it should be or what, what things we missed or what, what oversights were made. And I was really, really proud that I got, I got invited back after the six months when I was there, I went back like almost a year later to help them fine tune again. Did that lead to more consulting gigs? No, it it led to me knowing what I wanted to do with Tribute. Yeah. As well as um, giving me that that dumb confidence that I could. And yeah. the and the relationship. The guy who I worked with there ended up being one of my most important mentors here. So that experience, did it shape kind of like you, well, you kind of already said that, like, you know, with what, what you wanted to, it kind of shape, shape what you wanted to do here. But did you foresee a space this large? This used to be a United States post office. Mm-hmm. I love that the sign's still on. 
I love this neighborhood in San Diego. Like so many things seem seem perfect about this location. The decor, I, I it's exactly how I thought it would be. Good. Um, Me too. How how did this vision come together? Did you have to? Was it was it hard getting investors? Like we were talking off camera about maybe how big a build out like this would have been, and and making making this vision come alive and doing it the right way was was it tough finding funding? What was the hardest part about bringing this whole thing together? You know, the the inspiration that I was drawing from were some Neapolitan pizza restaurants or some New York pizza restaurants or a slice and pine of paps sort of place. Um, and the restaurant that I consulted for in, in Nairobi really helped me articulate this. And it was, it was kind of back to wood-fired. I had had a pretty long relationship with wood-fired ovens and the romanticism had kind of waned for me a little bit um, before Nairobi and teach having a brand new Stefano Ferrara oven there. And uh, the, the team who was so um, stoked to, to learn the oven. And in Kenya, wood-fired ovens are actually the most ubiquitous uh, it's like the it's the most common fuel for a pizza oven, um, but nobody had a Stefano Ferrara, and it was this it was like it was the the crown jewel of the restaurant. It was it was in the middle of the dining room, and it was and it had a copper chimney, and it was just um, it was kind of stunning, and uh, that oven and the design of of three sixty and the the experience that I had there training those guys to, to make um, the style of pizza that we wanted to make in that oven kind of made me fall back in love with, with wood-fired. Yeah. And it had like kind of different neighborhoods, the restaurant where, um, where there's like the romantic two-top where you might have a date or, you know, the, the, the quiet booth where you might, you know, take your, take your grandparents or the, you know, the kind of noisier bar area where you might just come in for a drink and an appetizer. And like, so that you could have um, kind of different, different experiences in the same place. Uh-huh. The, the space, the big, how big? It's very big. It's very stupid. <laughs> very big. Uh, the decision tree. If you want to make the pizza that Chris Bianco makes, buy that oven. Mm-hmm the oven that Chris Bianco has. Yeah. It's like, well, it's really fucking big. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hockey. well then, uh, and if you're, you know, then you need, you need this big of a pizza line so that it, you can make that many pizzas so that it's whatever. Um, and then you need, you know, with like two or three decisions, it's like, oh, I need 3000 square feet. Yeah. Everything in this room was designed for this for this room, it wasn't like I was looking for a 3000 square foot space and found this one and then put my blueprints into it. It was the opposite. It was, I need that space. I love it. It's, it has the history. It has this nostalgia. It isn't an up and coming neighborhood X, Y, and Z. What, what box fits in there or what, what pizza operation fits in there yeah and there's definitely some weird aspects like this is the original front door of the post office and 
they got rid of the ADA accessible ramp from the entrance. So that's the front door. So it's like, okay, you orient the restaurant that way. Yeah. Um, and if you want the oven to be visible from every seat in the house, then it's the shape or whatever, right? Yeah. Did we answer the question? No, I don't know. What's the question? No, I think you did. How much money? Uh, Why so stupid? <laughs> well, you know, like this is, I, having done a full build out on mm -hmm. 1300 square feet and knowing how much that cost me, I'm not going to lie. Every time I go into another pizzeria, I think. You start counting. Yeah, I start counting. And I start, I even just, I mean, like I can look around and I love your chairs and I love your tables. And I start thinking, okay, just in chairs and tables, you know, you're looking at a lot of fucking money. These chairs were produced by um, at a skateboard factory in Tijuana. Mm -hmm. This the if this is like that's the same uh, the it's same like technology a yeah. as a, as a deck. It was just a couple guys who had a chair who had a chair company here in San Diego. Yeah, actually um, met them in Las Vegas. They don't make chairs anymore, so these are all of them. Well, the chair, their chairs are badass. They're 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 super heavy. Yeah. I know Matt threw out his back. You'll get the uh, get the invoice. You'll get the invoice. But no, you got the high ceilings. You know the steel is is still exposed. These are the original steel beams. Mm -hmm. uh, you know I can see all the elect electric work. You know it it, it it all adds up. I'm sure. It does. I mean, luckily. Um Usually I ask this question, I say, what is a good startup number for your concept? Because I think a lot of up and coming people in pop-ups and stuff, they underestimate their vision or how much like things are going to cost them. The gig in, in Nairobi was my first consulting gig, but since, since I've done this, um, I've interacted with a lot of people kind of trying to trying to either add pizza to their existing business or a bar or something. And it's, it's always way more money than you think. Mm -hmm. And people say that, but it's kind of difficult to identify like, what's that mean? And it's, it's, it's the asshole tax. It's the, um, and either it's you're the asshole or your contractor is, or it's you're the asshole or your architect is, or you're the asshole or your landlord is, or the plumber or the city inspectors or whatever it is. It's that in a pro forma or in a business plan or something, you've got like, oh, the buffer or, you know, the contingency. And it's like you're, you're almost 100% going to spend that contingency and it's, it's, there's, there's basically nothing you can do to avoid it. So you better have it. Mm -hmm. So like what I actually don't know what a good number for a startup is because I recently was, you know, I like, I'm, I'm a dreamer. Um, and I look at real estate listings kind of religiously and there recently became a space available and it's, really close to here and it's 700 square feet and it's actually the reason why I'm in this location is because I was trying to do a pop-up in the 700 square foot spot. It's actually a, the breakfast giant right across the corner. Um, Lucky's golden Phoenix. Um, that's, that's the real estate we're talking about. Uh huh. Okay. 
he's he's been on this corner for 49 years Mm -hmm. and it's like an american diner and he's got to be like approaching 90 and he's ready to retire yeah and it's 700 square feet and it's got this awesome snake counter and it's a functioning restaurant today there are people in there having breakfast right now yeah it might be like a thousand dollars a foot to build out it might be three quarters of a million dollars to turn that into a place that can legally fry one more egg. Yeah. And that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because that's more than I spent here on three times the real estate. It's got a hood, but it's from the fifties. You got to get rid of it. Yeah. And there's things got to get gutted probably. But even worse than that, now the things that they allow for in a current, a modern build, just you like, you're going to have to get, special permitting to bypass an exemption so that you're allowed to do this thing. Yeah. Either put the grease interceptor inside, which they no longer allow, or under the city, under the city's property because there is no more outdoor property to allow for it. Yeah. X, Y, Z. Um, and maybe you could do it on a shoestring and do it for $400,000. Mm-hmm. I've had to put a lot of money into fixing the... Um, the cost savings that I made during build out. And that's, yeah. I feel like that's probably an inevitability. This project, I don't think you can, you could do for less than a million dollars anymore, but I did it for half that. But yeah. eight years ago. Is this considered like a historical building in San Diego? It's, it has, I think the best of both worlds where it, is historically significant yeah but it's not a landmark okay so you can change the facade but i think it's historical in nature there's some like some some finesse that the landlord probably uh took advantage of to get so that you could touch it right because if it's a landmark you can't you can't touch the exterior Uh while also getting some probably tax privileges or something. Well, it's cool because, you know, it still says U.S. Post Office. It's like it kind of just fits. I mean, it just it feels it feels even more special walking in here, like having that kind of on the corner. I don't know. Yeah. Lore that um, in my business plan, I wrote about the prestige of the post office. Mm. And I, I even, you know, even though I'm in this room almost every day, I, I kind of still feel it. And recently I sent my business plan to somebody um, and they were reading it and it's kind of the first time that I opened it in some unit of time and I was reading back over it. And like they put post offices in specific places when they were building them, mm-hmm. right? This is post-World War II. They, uh, wanted the post office to bridge residential neighborhood and a commercial neighborhood. They wanted it to be really accessible from all uh, methods of transportation. So it works for a car, it works for pedestrians, it works for bikes or it works for public transit. Um, They wanted parking to be easily accessible. Basically the federal government designed 
the blueprint for where post offices should be. And when the government started selling post offices, they had actually inadvertently described the perfect restaurant location. A post office could be where it was in the neighborhood mm -hmm. and you could get to it easily. And it's like part of the community. And I think it, it works for us kind of in the same way. Yeah. It's interesting. I've never even thought about that. And not like while you're talking, I'm thinking like of all the post offices that I've used and where they're located. And it's really kind of interesting now. They are kind of usually they're in, in between, specific places. In between neighborhoods. They're easily accessible and they're they're serving a lot of the community in where they're placed. And I think they're also supposed to be um, focal points. They're supposed to be like uh, visually where you can be like, oh, it's the post, the post office. office. Yeah. It's good for a restaurant. Yeah. Do you want more than one of these? Do you, do you see there being other tributes or you, you, you strike me as like a, like I told you in, in the back that you, uh, you, you struck me as like a flower blend guy. Like you, you, you seem like you have a meticulous mind. <clears throat> you really put a lot into sourcing your ingredients. You care about what you're doing. You know, would you, would it be this concept if you wanted to do it? Would you ever think about doing other things outside of pizza? I mean, that's why, that's why I look at real estate religiously. And that's because I, I am a dreamer and I can imagine something else something on top of this but not not exactly this i think part of what makes this special is what makes it really hard to scale and it's both the building and it's the build out that we did for a real discount and you can't tell mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's all those different things that um and it's that giant fucking wood-fired oven that is really, really special and also really incredibly difficult to operate mm -hmm. and hire an operator for yeah. XYZ. That if you were going to do, you're going to do it again, you probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't do a couple of these things. Yeah. Maybe in a place with a floor that wasn't from the fifties, but still probably pizza. I mean, I could see, I could see doing a, a standalone bar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not like jumping to go start a burger place. Yeah. Even though I do like flipping here's, burgers. Here's a flipper. Flippy. Flippy. Yeah. I mean, I feel like San Diego, I dated a girl here and I always, I, what I was telling Matt for four years, I, I had just the highest love. And I think there was like the, a great standard of hospitality here. Like whether you were in PB or at the gas lamp, like everyone, I don't know if it's still this way, this was 10 years ago, but everyone knew each other and it was just, it always, I loved coming down here to eat. I loved coming down here to drink, just like being out and about because there was this like really beautiful community of, of people that supported each other in the industry mm -hmm. and, and outside of it really, you know, and do you, do you feel that San Diego has that? I mean, I feel like there's great restaurants. There's there's a lot of great pizza popping up here, mm -hmm. you know? The chef of my favorite restaurant in San Diego, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal restaurant and they've been open for a couple of years and got a bib gourmand and it's opening up another restaurant soon enough. 
and I was, I just took my wife there a couple nights ago and we were kind of like, and the chef came out and shaved 20 grams of white Alba truffle over my wife's dish and it's the birthday gesture. And I love this restaurant so much. And I was kind of thinking like, how are like, we're just like the, we're the, we're the pizza place. Like, how are we involved? Like, and actually it turns out that they were ordering pizza from us throughout the pandemic. And we were delivering it on top of the hood of their car for like a full year before we kind of heard the story that this chef who was from San Diego, but spent a lot of time in a three-star place in New York was finally opening up his own restaurant here in San Diego. We, we're really privileged to be part of that community or Chef Claudette or all these, you know, the, the, we just opened on Tuesdays and we were kind of wondering what it was going to be like. It was 100% industry and they were all here simultaneously on the first Tuesday that we opened. I was like, it feels really, um, humbling to be your favorite chef's favorite pizza. Like this is where those guys come. And I, I feel like I try to do my part and like I go and eat a TNT as often as, as often as I can. And mm-hmm. I love those guys. Yeah. And I think it is a, like a smaller, tighter knit community than maybe LA, for example. I don't know. Maybe just it's geographically or, or something. But I also am constantly surprised by the new shit that I'm finding out about. By like, fuck, I, I've never heard of that place. Yeah. Go there and stand, and there's, I feel like a lot of opportunity here, still in TJ too. My favorite bar in San Diego is in Tijuana, and. I don't get to go as often as I'd like because I'm inconvenient international border, but yeah. it, it really does that, that thing that you're articulating from 10 years ago, that it feels tight knit and really close. I feel like I'm actually still finding that out for myself because mm-hmm. even though I'm a San Diegan, I've been a recluse. I've been in this room for most, for a lot of time over the last better part of a decade. So I'm still like f- finding out what's out there. Do you, are you working services every, are you working service every night? I mean, it was just my wife's birthday, so I wasn't here over the weekend. Yeah. And that was really, really unusual. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically I'm, I'm here working service every night. Do you find, do you like that or do you find it necessary for you to be here? Is there a part of you that would like to not have to be here every night? How, what's your relationship with, with that kind of work-life balance? Yeah, that's a that's a real challenge, right? That's that's the thing that we're all trying to figure out, right? My wife works here. We met here and she's here with me five or six days a week as well. That's both balance and imbalance, right? You guys uh, work well together? We do. Good. We're a good team. Um it says on our receipts like your neighborhood mom and pop pizza shop. Yeah. And you know, we have a, a different set of responsibilities here. Mm-hmm. And we are we are a really good team. I think there's the difference that I'm still still trying to still trying to figure out. And the difference is whether you get to or you have to. And it's like take any job. 
yeah. take being the dough guy. Mm-hmm. When you get to, it's fun. And when you have to, it's not good because as the CEO or the chef or whatever, you need to be not locked into the dough station for eight hours. Yeah. Um, or the same thing for stretching or working the oven or being the bar back or being a food runner or whatever it is. If when you, uh, when you get to, it's the best thing in the world. Yeah. When you get to it's man, I can, I'm, I'm have the luxury of alternating between cooking and hospitality and shaking a cocktail and taking a break and going and doing, you know, responding to some emails for a couple minutes or mm-hmm. whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, but when you, when you have to, if I'm like, if I'm, if I'm, if I have to be the oven operator for a day, it's like, what am I neglecting? Yeah. And the answer is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's such a big picture that everyone probably can't see except maybe you and your wife. You asked if I'd like to not have to be here every day. I think that means that there's still a little bit more have to than get to. Mm-hmm. And that's the constant struggle, right? Well, is that a staffing issue? No. We, I mean, we have. Is it a quality issue? It's probably a me issue. Okay. You. Either my expectations versus reality. Yeah. Or uh, my unwillingness to compromise issue or um, that it's a delegation training communication thing. It's almost certainly a me thing. Okay. Which, right, we're all humans, right? Yeah. I'm I'm good at making pizza and still have a lot to learn and not as good at management and have even more to learn. Yeah. My my partner, the my mentor, um, the one who I worked for in, in Nairobi, said you got to be okay with the 90th percentile. And I've always found that to be a challenge because the 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 discrepancy there is not forgetting the salad dressing. Yeah. I was like, it wasn't hard. Sometimes the easiest, those are the mistakes that always happen. You know, like you forget somebody's drink or like there's like on a to-go order, you know. Uh, so it, that's like an easy mistake. At least you didn't come back and somebody's like, yeah, fucking somebody told me to fuck off. You know, is there like, is, or is that mistake harder for you to, it's because the one it's, that it's so easy. It's the one that I'm still trying to learn, learn how to process. Yeah. Or be com- comfortable with. Yeah. I'm going to hit you with the, uh, the final boss. We're going to start the pod. We're going to start the pod and it, we're going to start it with the last conversation. I mean, question. The most important question. Who is the greatest band or artist, music artist of all time to you? When I make the analogy, like, oh, if you want to make the best pizza in the world, you should make pizza like Chris Bianco. Or it's like, it's just the same thing by the oven that Chris has. It's like, well, if you want to start the best band in the world, you should probably get a Gibson ES355 or whatever. The Beatles. Mm-hmm. It's the Beatles. Yeah, a little band. It's the Beatles. Yeah. Just so unoriginal and so uncool. The Beatles? To not have a more, like, personal answer. Well, um, d- 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 are you a huge fan of the Beatles? I'm a huge I fan I mean, I think that's Beatles. a great answer. They, they're, they're 
their catalog is untouchable. But I also uh, am a big fan of the Traveling Wilburys. Okay. I mean, come on. Bob Dylan. Is Petty in that? Petty. Yeah. George Harrison. Roy Orbison. Okay. That's Jeff Lynn. Anyone else? Axl Rose? No. Do we get all five? Yeah. Yeah. I just, I really, I'm like Tom Petty is the only one I knew in that band, but I knew it was a super group. They were like in sync before in sync. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I like them. Yeah. Because they're, they were like, they're like the hipster in sync. Yeah. Before in sync was cool. Yeah. Petty was definitely Timberlake, you know? Yeah. I'll, I'll agree to that. Maybe not. Anyways, that's a, that's a powerhouse of musicians. I, do they make more than one album? Yes, volume one and volume three. They skipped two. That's more, it's yet to be lo- unlocked out of the vault. Yeah. Because some of them are not with us anymore. Who's your favorite Beatle? That's a loaded ass question. No doubt, no doubt. Somebody once said the, the Beatles are dying in order of their coolness. Interesting. And sorry, Ringo, you're next. Oh, shit. I think the implication there is that Paul is the least cool. Yeah. Um, but I'm a Paul guy. Yeah. I don't, there's no wrong answer there. John was once asked, is Ringo the best drummer in the world? And John said, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Damn, dude, that's that's some serious shade. And that's the shade why John can't be my favorite. Yeah. It's just me. Well, Ringo Starr was the conductor on like some Thomas the Train show. So mm-hmm. to me... He'll always be the best Beatle. Ringo. Yeah, Ringo Starr. Rock and roll. And then George Harrison. You know, um, I like this whole God thing. It's deep, right? Yeah. I was I was a little surprised when um, the last time we were in New York, we went to Strawberry Fields. Right. It's the like it's the memorial mm-hmm. right outside of where his apartment was and where he got shot. Yeah. And uh, I didn't expect it, but I fucking lost it. I fucking like started like having a real like a a real like crying fest in public in the middle of Central Park even though I think that John was kind of a dick something there was touching it's beautiful yeah what about you what's your favorite band of all time you know I don't know uh I've now had to think about this 30 times and I I I say Dave Matthews band just because of the impact that it had and how many times I've seen them live. But I think that was more like the live show aspect that I really liked. Greatest band of all time, for me, I think would constantly change. Today it might be Third Eye Blind. Wow. Yeah. I really loved their self-titled. It was one of the first CDs I ever got. And then when I went to Europe, I by myself when I was 19, I think their album Out of the Vein came out. And I had a CD player and I walked around Europe just listening to that one CD. So today it's third eye blind. Wild card. Yeah. I would not have I would not have guessed. Well, I wouldn't have guessed you say the Beatles. So it's the beautiful thing about music. You never know, and it's all good. I'm a silence guy these days. You know, silence is really coming up. I think it's on its way up. It's my favorite part of being here alone on Monday. You can just go on autopilot. That is my favorite. My favorite part is getting to the restaurant around 6 a.m. and then not having any 
anything going on until 1130. Isn't that um, a weird irony that we are in this business to make people happy? And since it's bigger than what we can accomplish ourselves, we rely so much on other people. And yet our favorite thing is to be alone. Yeah, I mean, I go, I don't know, I don't, yes. Yes and no, because in reality, I do it because I, I love doing it. So it's yeah. all for me. I think I, got, I think I decided that like, yes, we're in the service industry and I wanna make people happy. At the end of the day though, I think I wanna make myself happy. My wife is in the midst of a music production class and just uh, her, a personal interest of hers. And she's um, writing her final paper about Rick Rubin. Mm -hmm. And I actually didn't know a whole lot of Rick Rubin's life or story or anything. Um, but the title of her paper is a kind of a quote and it's a trope that he always shares in his interviews. And it's that the audience comes last mm -hmm. and it's this such a, such a weird notion for me that, um, we create the art that we, we want to make mm -hmm. and then hopefully the consumers appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Both totally relate to that. And I'm, and I'm also really challenged by that. That resonates heavily with me where I'm at professionally. I am kind of, I'm kind of at the, the point in my life where it's like, you know what? I just want to fucking do what I want to do. And if you like it, great. And if you don't, then maybe I'll close down in six months. But at least I did it my way. Sinatra. What did he say that? Twice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm big on like team, team first, then customers. And, you know, don't you feel like there's a part of you, you, you give, 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 you created this whole thing. You, you've curated all of this and it is you on a plate. And obviously you're here to serve and make people happy. But at the end of the day, if they don't like it, it doesn't mean like they don't like you or you're a failure like you. No, I feel like they don't like me and I'm a failure. failure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fucking just, Why couldn't we just fuck up the salad dressing <laughs> in there? <laughs> oh my God. All right, where do we go to get in touch? What's the easiest way to hit you up and say, Matt, I want to do a tribute to you? Just call me. All right, what's your phone number? 858-220-0030. Text is probably the best. Okay. Who are we kidding? Or I run at Tribute Pizza. That I'm probably better by text, but, or Matt at TributePizza.com. I don't know. Or come here, I'm here 300, 50 days a year all right well i appreciate you making the time this was awesome i'm very humbled to be a part of the show thanks for having me thank you party yes party pizza on. party party on pizza party <laughs>